Hey, what up, Long Beach? It's all happening here at the only podcast that updates you on everything going on with our local schools, their sports teams, and our community at large. We have got great breaking news, as always, at the562.org, which is myself, JJ Fiddler. I'm Mike Artabasio, and uh, JJ just mentioned it. We literally, we've got a great interview coming up with CIF Southern Section Commissioner Rob Wygott about the return of football and other outdoor high school sports. Uh, we, we got breaking news right before it. And in the middle of it, we got the breaking news that uh, Peyton Watson been named a McDonald's All-American. So lots of great breaking news to see at obpost.com and the 562.org. Right, Tyler? Yeah, Mike, there's a lot going on today. We thought uh, we were going to talk about the breaking news that we got uh, on Friday from the California Health Department and uh, thus the CIF Southern section with Rob Wygod. But we had the mid-interview breaking news that we were able to expand on with him, and we will talk more about that as we are, we're just excited to share some good news. We've there's been a long, long time of kind of you know doom and gloom and and wonder and curiosity, and and now we're starting to to really take off and make some progress, and and, and we're definitely excited about that. So let's let's get into some good news here, boys. Well, we got to timestamp it as we always do on this show. It is two forty two on a Tuesday. And the reason why we got to do that is because a lot has changed since we did the interview at 11 a.m. with uh, CIF Southern Section Commissioner Rob Wygod. So forgive the audio quality. You're going to hear some tip tapping and typing away in the background. You're going to hear phones <laughs> bad, going y'all. off. That's You're going to hear things. Dude, it was on everybody's end. I think Rob Wygod's phone rang three times while we were yeah. interviewing him. And that usually doesn't happen. So forgive that, but enjoy how uh, immediate. This is because it is all happening right now, as we said. We got that release on last Friday from the California Department of Public Health, kind of doing away with the tier situation and doing a more case rate goal that was reached today when they found out those new numbers. So clearing the way for football, baseball, softball, soccer, water polo, cheerleading, other outdoor activities to return, which is obviously a huge deal. It's been almost a year since we had it. We mentioned a few weeks ago that Long Beach State has got their spring sports coming back. So all of a sudden, Mike, you did a great column this week. The calendar is full. We have sports coverage again. It's over full. Looking at the way this is going to play out with all those sports JJ just mentioned, in addition to track and field and so many others that are that are all going to have to happen here within a you know three or four month span. It's going to be very interesting. Um, I would say that there's a big picture and there's a little picture. The little picture is all of the details that need to be put together. The football teams are going to have to test daily. Uh, You know, they're going to have to test prior to games based on how uh, the state guidelines are written up and where the case rate currently is. Um, In the, in the Moore league, we're one of the few school districts in Southern California with indoor pools. So water polo has been cleared to return, but it's outdoor water polo. Well, Cabrillo is the only outdoor uh, pool in the Long Beach Unified School District. So there's there's lots of, they're literally working with the health department in the state to figure out how much ventilation is required, <laughs> you know, for an indoor pool to be considered outdoor, if that's possible. Um, or is everyone doing everything at Cabrillo? Um, there's going to be a lot of big questions to answer, a lot, a lot of those questions to answer. But the, the big news is the LA County case rate has dropped to 12.3 per 100,000. Anything under 14 allows all those sports that JJ just mentioned to resume. We literally got news that that was going to happen about two minutes before we started recording with Commissioner Wygod. Um, I think you'll hear in the interview, he's not quite ready to commit to the uh, source reporting that we had. <laughs> and understandably, given his uh, position atop the Southern section, uh, but we do now have that. It's also been officially announced and confirmed even by the CIFSS. So all that will be going forward. Um, we have a lot of phone calls to make when we're done recording about 
what exactly is going to play out in Long Beach, but I will say we had already received word from Lisa Omer, the Moore League Secretary, and the LBUSD sports person for high school. We're probably going to see high school football. Uh, I think you technically could go as early as March 12th based on today's return date. I think it'll be March 19th at the earliest. I just don't think enough schools in Long Beach are in helmets and pads today, three hours after hearing this news. Um, but yeah, I mean, less than a month from now, you could be seeing all those sports that JJ just mentioned, um, which is tremendous for so many of the kids that we cover. We're, we're so happy about it for ourselves, but also for the kids. Um, it's just, it's hard to overstate how rapid and crazy this is going to be to get this stuff going again. I, I was just talking to a St. Anthony football coach, Mario Morales and Lakewood football coach, Scott Meyer, and they're already on the phone with each other trying to figure out a time where they can scrimmage because they're so close and they know each other and the schools are familiar with each other. So that would work perfectly for them. But then you've got St. Anthony with a much smaller league thinking, okay, can we just play the team in the more league that has the buy that week? Is that even possible? Well, Would we be and- able to add games and try to get as many games in because we are also, we have to remember we're working with the deadline here. April 16th would be the last day that you could play football. So if we were, for example, starting on March 19th, that is only a month. It's only four Fridays. of high That school. would be five. That, 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 that would be five. If they start the 19th, it would be five to get to that April 16th. But aren't um, they going to, but aren't they going to take time off? Cause I'll, the schedule that I last saw was the 19th, the 26th, the first and the 16th. That's only four uh, weeks. Uh, no, it'd be 19th, 26th, the, the second, the ninth and the 16th. So it's, it, it would be five if they start then. So are they not doing, um, so are they not doing spring break is what I'm asking? Cause that's spring break week right there. That's why there's a week missing on the schedule that they released. I believe that was uh, at the end of January. They put well, that one out. Uh, yeah. And key, well, cause the, the one that they put out was, was uh, for a start date that we didn't hit. So that included right. games in February, but it, you know, if you look at like a St. John Bosco, they're going to play on the 12th. And they'll, they'll be able to do six games. The Long Beach School, everyone could technically do six games, but you have to be in pads today, again, a matter of hours after the announcement went out. Or tomorrow. You could right. also be in pads tomorrow to set you up for that Friday or even yeah. have the flexibility to play on a Saturday. The, the real requirement is a certain number of practices. It's normally not a problem for you to hit it because you've just been practicing in the summer, right? Like, right. But there are really not a concern, but there's a, there is a detailed guideline that the CIF put out that kind of shows the timeline of, of what you would have to hit to play on each of those certain days. So there's also a difference between padded practice and non-padded practice where you don't have that in any other high school sports. So you have to consider that, which we will obviously talk to Wyckoff about. It's going to be much more complicated for football than for any other sport to get back, if only because of the numbers. And just to pull back the curtain on that a little bit, the Cabrillo cross-country team was not able to participate in a meet last week um, because there's simply not enough doctors to give physicals to the kids. The kids hadn't gotten their physicals. You all of a sudden have to do a whole summer's worth of athletic clearance for all these athletes very quickly. Not every school was working ahead to get that done. Um, We're also going to have reporting, and and you want to talk about, I think it. I actually think it would make a ton of sense to bring St. Anthony into the Moore League for this year. Um, we do have, we'll have a story out about this probably later in the week. Um, the news that the Cabrillo football team will not be competing this year um, in the Moore League football season that returns. So, um, you know, th- they're not going to put this out there, but by CIF rule, those kids are actually free to transfer um, to any other school to play, or they can stay there and wait for the fall. But with Cabrillo being out, 
Um, and we don't know yet about Compton. We don't know yet about Jordan. Um, we, we don't know yet about anyone, frankly. Jordan you know? is practicing. I talked to Court today. He is saying they're practicing and uh, they're on the field. And they're looking for a scrimmage as well. So, so there you go. You know, I mean, so, but it literally, as far as that Cabrillo spot, can St. Anthony step into that and just play their spot in the league? I mean, it, to be completely honest with you, in terms of the science behind cohorting athletes, it would make more sense to have Long Beach teams play each other than to have St. Anthony playing teams from Whittier or Los Angeles or whatever else. Um, but I, it's going to be, as, uh, as, as White God mentioned, I think late in the interview, like flexibility is going to be key because this stuff's going to be crazy. Lisa Ulmer told me, whereas normally they would only do one water polo game a week, she'd be open to trying to find ways to let the teams play two or three league games a week for that stretch, just to try and give the kids some more activity and, um, and structure and competition and everything. But I, it's going to look very different than anything we've ever seen before. And uh, I'm, I'm happy we're here to report on it. I guess that's all I'll say, because it's, it's definitely going to be interesting. If you want to celebrate the good news that we have today and the return of uh, high school football and, and other sports, there's no better place to celebrate and no better way to celebrate than with some delicious barbecue. Head on down to Naples Rib Co. Longtime supporters of everything that we do here at the 562.org. Get you some brisket, uh, some tri-tip, their ribs, chicken, sausages, mac and cheese, mashed potatoes, Man, I can just run down the whole menu and everything is delicious. They have outdoor dining or you can do your takeout order and eat at home. Visit ribcompany.com or give them a call. Be sure to support Naples Rib Company and help out the businesses that support local sports coverage. We now bring on our special guest for the week, the man who's dealing with all the ever-changing plans, and his phone is probably ringing off the hook right now. It's CIF Southern Section Commissioner Rob Wygod. Well, thanks for having me, JJ, Mike, Tyler. Good to see you guys and, and be with you. And here we are today, hopefully talking a lot more about sports and uh, the return of high school athletics. So glad to be here. We've got great news today. I mean, how are you guys doing over there? Are you bringing employees back into that office? We haven't gone that far yet. I think what we're trying to do, like all of us, is uh, is monitor the ever-changing situation. And so today, uh, there was a big step taken last Friday, and now it's being followed up by a step today when we get the official release of the different uh, adjusted case rates for the eight counties that we're involved in in the southern section. You know, we can go into that ne that next phase too, and then uh, and see that you know some of these sports are going to start rolling out here very very quickly. Yeah, I mean, you just mentioned it, Rob. It's going to be once the numbers are official, you know, it's going to be the race is on, right? And I mean, quite literally, you guys put out um, such a great piece of guidance on the how many practices do you need before you can play. Um, and the one thing I noted on it, though, is for teams to get six games in, they need to start practicing today, like the day that the case rate comes out. Um, so, you know, what are your what are, what are your thoughts on how quickly people are going to be able to kind of get that stuff going? Well, we were aware that a lot of our schools have been doing conditioning workouts and we're able to, to do that over a good period of time. So they have, been, they have been organizing, they have been with their, their student athletes and coaches. So hopefully they, they can pick this up fairly quickly. It wasn't our ideal situation to have to give all that information out on a Friday afternoon the other day. It would have been nice to have a few more days beforehand, but we knew it was important to get it out there Friday afternoon, give people a few days over the weekend and even yesterday that if they did get this news, which usually comes out around noon to 1230, that by three o'clock this afternoon, day one could start for football practice uh, in terms of our three conditioning days. That being said, they would have to start today if their first game was going to be on Thursday, March 11. 
if they started tomorrow and they had a scheduled game on March 12 on that Friday, then they could certainly start tomorrow. And if they started Thursday, they could play that first game on Saturday, March 13. So that's the scenario for a school to have six games as well as an interscholastic scrimmage, which would be able to take place after their 10th day of practice. And at this point, with all that we've gone through and all the waiting game we've had to play, a football program that could have six full games as well as an interscholastic scrimmage to prepare for that, that those six games, I think you know we'll take that right now, uh, certainly considering what the alternatives might have been. Well, and, and Rob, let's go, let's go back to that, that Friday announcement. You know, it's, it's obviously been, um, you know, been great to, to see good news and see progress. You know, it's been a long wait for, you know, for optimism and, and, you know, good news to, for you guys to share. Uh, what, what from, from your vantage point, from really being in it, you, you know, what, what kind of led to that, the change from, from the health department? What, what do you see as kind of the driving forces that, that, that had them change their, you know, their, their outlook and their, and their protocols to, to allow this return to sports to happen. I, I think the data that was coming out about high school sports and not necessarily being seen as a major impact on the spread of the virus, the, the other States that played during the fall, the, the information that came out from the national federation, I thought was really important about that because what really shifted was a shift away from the entire uh, reliance on the colored tiers, which we had been, uh, obviously following because of the state directives for many, many months. And this, this research pretty much was proving that the, the uh, high school sports and the activities taking place weren't really a major, major factor. So where the shift came was to take it out of the whole idea of the entire county having to be moved from the purple tier to the red tier or to the orange tier before a particular sport could come back. The shift became outdoor sports and indoor sports. And it, it basically decided to put them all together as one or the other, which is uh, now a different thing to look at. And then, of course, they just took one factor, which is the adjusted case rate per 100,000 people. and didn't include the positive testing rates and some of the other things that are involved in a, an entire county moving up the spectrum uh, from purple to red, et cetera. And now it just became for outdoor sports. Uh, it became one thing, case rate per 100,000 settled on the number 14 and you know we took it from there so uh there was a, a significant shift and i think it was based on some data and research and uh and we were at least pleased to see that other factors like the positive test rates and some of the other things that were were also having to be tracked would be set aside to try to focus on the outdoor sports and get those out as soon as we could Rob, I'm, I'm curious just for your personal opinion on this, because you mentioned, you know, there has been more, we've seen most of the rest of the country play football. And so there's more data and studies available about that, but um, there's no real new information that it's safe to do cross country and tennis and golf. I mean, people have been doing those activities. Um, do you have a sense of personal frustration that because of these guidelines, you know, the case rate today, even with it dropping, it's still double what it was in, in some places in the fall. Do you have a frustration at the, at the delay in this, that, that we could have done, you know, done more for these kids at an earlier rate, had those guidelines been, been there? I think it's a mixed bag. I, I would agree with you. It's certainly been frustrating, but I think what happened is back in October, when we submitted the recommendations of the CIF Sports Medicine Advisory Committee about all sports in the red tier, we really thought that was realistic and we thought that was a viable plan for all of those sports. And at that time, five of our eight counties were in the red tier. Right. So we were very much in that, in that mindset that our original schedule that we put out last July, it was supposed to start in mid-December. 
was a realistic opportunity as we were in the month of October. But clearly things got away from us. And so the conversations with the CIF, California Department of Public Health and Governor's Office, took on a completely different tone when those numbers became, I mean, we had counties in, in the 100 adjusted case rate in certain times uh, during the months of December and into January. So, you know, that, that really, really made it difficult for us to get any traction uh, in terms of any revised guidelines from the California Department of Public Health. And when they finally did put them out in the middle of December, there probably couldn't have been a worse time for those to come out because what had happened in the last couple of months by the time we got to mid-December was a completely different situation. And, uh, you know, it's only been until just the last few weeks that we finally put that part of it behind us and have seen these rapid decreases in adjusted case rates and positivity rates and case numbers, and hospitalizations, all the things that, that they're obviously looking for. So it's a, it's a different conversation obviously now. And uh, we're thankful that it happened at least uh, maybe in the nick of time before it might've gotten too far away from us. But uh, you know, that's, that frustration level uh, was a, a combination of just not getting anything back soon enough, but then when it did come back, it probably couldn't come back at a worse time. Rob, kudos to you and everybody over there at the CIF Southern Section for putting out those football scenarios to really clear up what people need to do in order to get these kids back on the field and playing. But then you've got all of these other sports as well. Are you dealing with different timelines for different sports and those scenarios that we talked about with football? And what's the reaction been from your softball or your baseball coaches? The difference that football has in any other sport is that there is a mandated amount of practice days before their first competition. So we really felt it was important to get out the different scenarios now that we were aware of what it was going to be uh, when they can return. And uh, we figured those three were the most common scenarios that are going to happen, whether it's today, next Tuesday, or the Tuesday after. Um, and that was very important because, again, how many games, scrimmage, what and how is this going to play out? The other sports have competition dates and we did the best we could on Friday to really outline every single sport, the competition date that, that lies there uh, ready to go. And for our outdoor sports, we have every expectation. They're all going to start on time and they're going to be able to go. We, we think baseball and softball by March 19 will be under 14. And like you said, it could be today. So I, I really think by March 19, I would expect all of our counties, if this continues, to, to be well below 14 and, and be able to, to work on those particular sports as examples. So we, we outlined all the outdoor sports going forward, and not just the ones that football and boys and girls water polo right now, but we did all the spring sports that were outdoors. We, lay, we laid out those competition dates. And then we even laid out competition dates for the indoor sports if they choose to go outdoors that are coming up here in the spring. And now we go forward from there. The next conversation to have, right now the number's been 14. We're optimistic that we're gonna get our counties below that number, if not by today, but by next week, let's say. And then we need to have that conversation about the indoor sports. What if the, the threshold now becomes seven? And I'm just speculating, this is nothing I have info on, but let's say we agree with the California Department of Health, they say, all right, once you make it to seven adjusted case rates or less, indoor sports can go back indoors. That's kind of what we need to keep following up on. So we're not, we're not done yet. We certainly uh, we're happy to see that outdoor sports were given consideration. The things that we discussed a few minutes ago about what changed, what research was used, how did they arrive at taking outdoor sports and, and deciding what to do for outdoor sports. Now we've got a challenge for the indoor sports and we need to keep 
our focus on, on that as well and trying to work with California Department of Public Health Governor's Office to see what the plan can be for indoor sports going forward. Yeah, so I, I did want to follow up on that, on that, Rob, because that was a point that, you know, we've had a lot of, you know, comments on, on stuff that we've posted asking about, you know, the, the indoor sports, whether it's the volleyball or basketball is obviously a very popular one as well. So ha have there been any discussions between you guys and the, and the CDPH about, um, you know, what that would look like, that guidance to get indoor sports to come back? And, you know, how do you kind of picture that? Is it the case rate has to be very low? Is it maybe... Uh, more frequent testing the way we're, you know, that is mandated for, for football and water polo. How, how do you kind of see that playing out if we are to get those sports or can you not speculate yet? No, I can. I think the point I would make is that we've been saying for so long, just give us an opportunity. We really believe that education-based athletics can be done in a healthy and safe way. And we believe our professional educators are the people that are most suited to do it. And so we really just wanted an opportunity. And for so long, we haven't been able to get that. We've got that now. I'd like to believe that we can build upon this opportunity, show that we can get this done as it relates to outdoor sports, and then keep that conversation going forward and actually have some credible data and evidence like was used here to get outdoor sports going to then see if we can get the indoors going. You know, remembering that that uh, the indoor sports, again, if you take the sport of basketball or volleyball, I mean, how much contact happens in a volleyball match between the two teams and how much contact happens between two football teams? I mean, it's completely different. But but the past evaluation tool was contact. All the, the, the data was high contact sport, medium contact sport, low contact sport. Well, that's kind of been set aside now because the, the, the data is clearly showing that playing a volleyball match doesn't necessarily increase the spread of the virus, nor does playing a football game. So what has happened is now it's indoors and outdoors. And the, and the feeling is it's not that the two volleyball teams would, would increase the risk by playing a volleyball match inside a gym. The risk is the people indoors and how the virus spreads more in an indoor environment than outdoor. So it's a different mindset that people have to understand is where this this headed in a different direction. They're not saying that playing a volleyball match is, is so much of a risky endeavor. It's the fact that it's being indoors where people are inside in a confined space where that data, at least the, the, the fear is that that's where the, the risk and the spread of the virus are more likely to happen than in an outdoor environment. So we have to, we have to start getting aware of that idea and comfortable with that idea. Cause we've had a lot of volleyball coaches who've been very, very upset seeing that volleyball actually was downgraded, if you want to call it that, you know, to become an indoor sport. And it's not about contact anymore. And they're saying, why, why is volleyball that has far less contact than a football game would have being actually a stricter uh, designation? Well, again, it's because of where it's happening, not the actual sport. And that was different than what they were doing before. It was about the sports and the amount of contact that's been set aside. It's now about indoors and outdoors. So we got to get to work on the indoors. I, that, that was that, that was the last thing that I, I wanted to ask you, at least, was, you know, we, we've kind of remarked when those guidelines came out. Um, like, we all want to say we're following the science, but obviously public pressure and, and money plays into some of these decisions, right? And we pointed out Long Beach State basketball, NCAA basketball is going. And by every scientific guideline out there, basketball is the worst sport <laughs> that you could be playing right now because it's contact and indoors. Kind of similarly, you know, football has been so much of this conversation. And you know, and we know, this is so many more kids than just football when you talk about baseball and softball and soccer and cheerleading, et cetera. But um, how important do you think that was that 
there's sort of a general public who doesn't necessarily follow high school sports closely that they care so much about high school football that that kind of helped push everything else over the finish line here from a, from a public pressure perspective. We were supportive of any group that was, was wanting to do what we wanted, which is the return of high school sports in a healthy and safe way. So there were some other groups out there, obviously, that uh, were, were in the same message and the same uh, mindset that we were. And, uh, and so we were supportive of that. And hopefully they were supportive of us in realizing that we were, we were making every effort we could make at, at our level. And, you know, I, I just don't know that, that, uh, that it may have happened or may not have happened uh, if all of us hadn't shared the same voice. But certainly I, I felt like we were united in that message and, and we're going to do all we could. And so there were times that a lot of our schools would say, what can we do? What can we do? And we would say, well, you know, your parents are asking what they can do. And, and we would say, lend their voice, you know, lend, lend the, the public voice beyond just CIF or, or other organizations out there, the public voice, the voters, the constituents of elected officials, those people are very important. And uh, so the efforts that, that these folks made were, were, I think, helpful. And I would like to, again, believe that it was a unified front that we all were saying the same thing. We just went about it in the different ways that we could with the different platforms that we have. I mean, our executive director at the CIF level was on countless meetings with California Department of Public Health and the chief of staff in the governor's office. And that wasn't necessarily something that one of these other groups would be able to do, but these other groups would organize uh, some kind of a rally or, or get people together and, and express their opinions that way or show up in Sacramento on the steps of the Capitol and, and make sure that they were being seen and heard with their message. So like I said, it was, it was uh, something that I would, I would believe that everyone contributed to and uh, was doing what they could do with the uh, platform and the opportunities that, that they had. Rob, with the with the trajectory that we're currently on, and you know, I think this is something I've been thinking about because of you know last year the spring season, you know, not having an opportunity to finish their season and have their championships. Um, you know, with the fall championships already having to be canceled, with how things are currently going, what's what's your opinion on the outlook for you know CIF championships in the spring? I mean, I, I know we're going to miss covering the CIF playoffs for football and 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 the other you know uh, fall sports and things like that, but we we can hopefully be optimistic for spring championships. What's your, what's your kind of uh, outlook on, on, on whether that's feasible with, you know, having to cross counties and, and add in a few more layers to things. Well, it's one of the things that we haven't really discussed until this question. And, and there is another major factor involved with us as the Southern section. And that is what are the travel limitations going to be right now? They're allowing you to travel to your adjoining County. As long as your County's in the same category that you are for us to conduct championships, we need the ability to travel throughout our eight counties and be able to go from a Santa Barbara County school to an Orange County school or a San Bernardino County school to Ventura County. And if we're not able to do that, uh, that's going to be a major, major factor in, in whether we can conduct our championships or not. So again, we need to be uh, focused on that issue too going forward. If we get our, our sports started here as we get going, and like I said, by the middle of March, we're going to have a very robust amount of sports going on, and uh, that'll be great. And if that's being done and it's, it's working out and, and the travel limitations start to be relaxed, then like I was saying before, we're prepared in the early to maybe mid-April time frame to make a, a definitive announcement. And Tyler, I will keep to my deadline, I promise you. We will have a, a, an announcement at that time to uh, decide, you know, ultimately, can we do it or not? And, uh, and it applies to two different different uh, concepts. It applies to, again, I'll just use uh, 
oh, let's use soccer. It, it applies to the idea of a matchup that will happen across several county lines that happens in competitive equity playoffs. Uh, is that going to be allowed? Is the first round game and the second round game going to be allowed to happen across three counties? Um, and then the other factor is a sport like track and field or swimming or, or golf or tennis where we pick one spot and we have the student athletes and coaches and all from uh, all eight counties traveling to El Camino College for track, Riverside Community College for swimming. And is that going to be allowed? Uh, the issue of fans for CIF Southern Section Championships, uh, we will certainly be working with the local health departments in Riverside County, for example, if we have swimming there, in Los Angeles County, if we have track at El Camino, uh, we would work with them about spectators. But I would always want people to know that will not be the defining factor of whether we would conduct our championships or not. If we have to conduct the championships and are not allowed to have spectators, we would still conduct our championships. Our student athletes deserve the opportunities. And, and I understand what the financial implications are about that. But for us, it's still too important for student athletes to play. And we're just going to have to deal with the financial fallout from what that means. But uh, we've got some time now. It's February 23rd. You know, obviously in the next month to, to five weeks, maybe six weeks, we get a much clearer picture about travel and, and any limitations that may still exist or if some of those have been relaxed. And, uh, and then it'll also be dependent on programs. You got to remember, I know we're talking a lot about county guidelines and California Department of Public Health and so forth, but never forget what we've been saying ever since March and, and when we unfortunately had to shut down. This is a school, school district, private school decision on whether they bring their student athletes back and their high school athletic programs back. So regardless of anybody's guidelines or, or whatever, it's still going to be up to a school, school district, private school to decide if, if they feel it's appropriate in their school and their community to bring their athletic programs back to their campuses. So everyone has to keep, keep remembering that and kind of don't lose sight that that's going to be a factor as well. We may find that there are districts, even with these guidelines, that may not come back or, or schools that still may not be able to bring a sports program back. So uh, we, we have to see how that, that plays out as well. So obviously this is far off and it'll be our last question. Uh, this is going to be a marathon, not a sprint, right? We get, the, we get the go ahead, but it's going to be slow going, coming back. And then as soon as I feel like we reach this rhythm where we've got everybody going, it's going to be summertime. Are you guys at all willing to consider changing some of your summer restrictions on hours and days and stuff like that for all of the sports in order to facilitate more activity for these kids once we kind of get back into quote unquote normal? Well, a very timely question, JJ, excellent question. And that is over the last couple of weeks, we've been compiling information and trying to get some feedback from our membership. We're doing that through our executive committee members in the areas that they represent. We're doing that with uh, some of our committees, our athletic administrators, our superintendents, private school leadership. There are four different county athletic director associations. We've been in contact and asked them for information and feedback all about the summer dead period, which is a two week mandatory dead period shutdown on our campuses for all of our sports programs. And with the late schedules we have of spring sports going into the middle of June, almost to the end of June, the uh, shortened window that would mean for the summer, how they could conduct summer programs, what are they gonna do with their incoming freshmen? There's so many things like that that, that are involved that uh, by the end of this week, uh, we're gonna continue and, and complete that, that gathering of data. And then uh, a decision will be made on Monday, March 1st. We'll announce a decision on whether we're gonna waive that summer dead period or not. And it is a Southern section bylaw. So as commissioner, I have the authority to interpret our bylaws and, and, and set them aside or waive them if, if needed. And uh, we'll be making that decision for sure on March 1st. Again, Tyler, I promise you, you will see that on March 1st, probably in the morning. 
and uh, and we'll make that that decision because we know that in an, in a time of maximum flexibility, which we've all had to deal with since mid March, uh, what does that mean for the upcoming summer? Um, is this a better thing for our schools to have as much flexibility in a shortened summer? Because all of us really do hope that all that's happening now and will be happening through the next few months will prepare us and get us to a point where next fall in August, we start as we normally start. And we have what we would consider a typical year, a normal year, if you wanna use that word. And, uh, and so we're gonna do the very best we can now uh, to, to make sure that, that everything that happens going forward will be for this year to do everything that we could possibly do. And then we sure hope that that, that sets us up that all of this work and everything that we're gonna be doing now will really help prepare us to start a regular school year in August. And, and part of that would be uh, more flexibility in the summer to allow our schools uh, the opportunity to do what they need to do. Having said that though, we will still encourage our schools. It wouldn't be necessarily a mandate from our section bylaw, but certainly encourage our principals, athletic directors and coaches to give our student athletes a little bit of a break this summer. Uh, what fits them best. If it's a week, you know, if one sports program takes this week and a different one takes that week, whatever they need to do. But, but the constraint of two weeks, every sports program at the same time in a limited window, we feel, and, and our, our schools will let us know if that's, if that's something that for this summer should maybe be set aside. But I, I don't want anybody to take a message that we don't believe in a break for families and for student athletes and coaches and everyone to try to have a little bit of time to get away just to, to recharge that battery and kind of get ready for, as I said earlier, hoping for a, a typical start uh, in a calendar that we're all used to that would be uh, you know, taking place next August. Well, you're doing the Lord's work, Rob, and the Southern section is uh, lucky to have you. So thank you so much for taking the time, clearing stuff up. We'll keep our fingers crossed and hopefully we'll be talking to you soon, man. Well, you're welcome. Again, I always appreciate being with you and, and thanks for the great work that you're doing. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing you on a sideline or on a pool deck or, or anywhere that we can get uh, here in the next few weeks in March. And uh, excited uh, for our student athletes first. We've never lost focus on our student athletes. It's always been about them and anything we could do to come through and deliver for them. And, and hopefully that's what's going to be happening here very, very soon. Another great episode of What Up Long Beach, breaking some news for you and breaking down all that's been going on in the Long Beach sports world. Before we go, quickly want to thank our sponsors again, Naples Rib Company, of course, as well as Ocean Law Center for their support of Long Beach sports coverage. Visit OceanLawCenter.com or see their ad on our website for all the services that they provide. Thank you to Ocean Law Center for your support.